to Sounds from the Shadows, the podcast where the Shadow Girls get together, talk about stories, storytelling, folklore, fairy tales, other things that have caught our interest. My name is Emily Collins. My name is Orla Devlin. My name is Deirdre Quinn. And today we're going to be talking about gender non-conforming fairy tales. Yes. Gender... We were saying gender bending, but I'm... Is that okay to say still? Yeah, Yeah, I don't know, because I know that the term bender or bent has been used as a derogatory term for anyone not cis and straight yeah so gender non-conforming gender non-conforming uh which is an interesting topic because a lot of traditional fairy tales and narratives the way they've been passed down they do reinforce certain stereotypes yeah certain gender behavior certain patriarchal things because a lot of them were you know cautionary tales Mm -hmm. and little bit victim blaming <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah brothers Grimm had a certain uh view on i oh, i can't remember what it was but it was something talk it was a a book on queering gender fairy fa- gender in fairy tales but they were talking about how sleeping beauty is kind of the the ideal brothers Grimm princess because she doesn't say anything she doesn't do anything she's beautiful and she's pure and even though when she gives birth, she is technically still a virgin because she was asleep for that. Uh, it, yeah, I mean, it doesn't count if you were asleep, right? Oh, oh. Yeah. oh. <laughs> So already off to a problematic start. Yeah. Uh, but we're, uh, I don't think we actually are talking about any Brothers Grimm tales. No, 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 no. Not at all. Because we don't need those losers in our life. Okay? <laughs> we don't need that bad energy in our life. <laughs> oh, my word. <laughs> yeah, so um, what is gender? <gasps> gender is a social a construct. It's a social construct with some innate things as well. Because if it was just a social construct, then trans. Yes. Yeah. Well, if it was just a social construct, if you were like socialized as one gender, then you would never. There's a mixture of like construct and then innate. Yeah. So it's a it's a it's a blendy wimey willy <laughs> timey wimey timey wimey yeah 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 it's a wonderful complicated topic boxes exactly. fighters yeah. yeah uh yeah it's like it's part performance part i'm like i'm yeah i'm still quite dubious on like the innate nature of the way I, the way i think of it is um we're all a sort of purple yeah. And we're all a, like a sort of constantly changing, evolving purple and like with patterns and different things. But until quite recently, we only had the words blue and red. Yeah. Yeah. And so you were put into a blue box or you put into a red box. And some people were ha- more happy in their red box and some people were more happy in their blue box. But we're all purple and we're all changing purples. And now we've got colors like violet <gasps> and indigo and lilac. Mauve. Yeah. And we've got all these d- new words that we're discovering for new colors and things. Yeah. And patterns like polka dot or striped paisley checked yeah i remember that's really beautiful emily i like yeah, that a lot i like it too yeah like, i remember work i used to work in a pharmacy and there was this young couple waiting on their first kid and they decided that they didn't want to get to know what like what sex the baby was going to be so they just decided to buy everything green I like that because uh, a lot of the time, like yellow is shown as the like the gender neutral color, but I don't like yellow. No, I think yellow is a pretty awful color, to be honest. Sorry to all those yellow lovers, lovers out there, yeah. but you're wrong. Um, <laughs> yeah, like we grew up in 1970s bathrooms. So that's why <laughs> that's it. So much, yeah. But also, like it's the ah, uh, I don't know. Like if you like blue, do you know what? Why don't you just put your baby in blue? Like yeah, that's blue, blue is a lovely color. Blue and is a beautiful color until. Like sort of the twentieth century ish, blue was the color for baby girls, and pink was the color for baby yeah. boys. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think there's a really good Vox video on like the gendering of pink yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Vox V O X. Yeah. So go check that out as well. I think it was in the nineteen sixties when pink became predominantly girly. Yeah, it was all marketing because they're like, we're making these toys. But we can make twice as much if we make the same toy in pink and the same toy in blue and say one is only for girls and one is only for boys. Yeah. It's always meant to be in America. I know, it's, it, everything's Please about... don't come at me. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not, not the I don't know, do, 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 you, do you have some of your theatre marketing is all pink and some of your theatre marketing is all blue? No, thank God. <laughs> I'm woke AF. <laughs> <laughs> preach, queen, preach. Preach. <laughs> yeah, so let's, uh, let's get on to the fairy tales. Mm-hmm. So we've uh, each picked some, some tales. Who wants to start? Um, yeah, I'll, 
yeah go? yeah go ahead uh, mine's kind of a sort of a historical legend Ooh. Um, some people believe it wasn't true others just say it was a story but it talks about a female pope Ooh. named Pope Joan and for those of you who don't know um, the Catholic Church doesn't let women be priests so a woman being pope is quite a quite, a feat. quite a feat yeah, yeah. though I think technically you don't have to be a priest to be pope what? Yeah, well, you, um, the cardinals can choose to elect anyone. Um, it's just they all, they tend to elect a cardinal. Yeah. But I think there's nothing on the le- on like the book saying you have to be a priest. I think it is just accepted that it will be a priest who is a cardinal. That's crazy. And now they can choose an age, an age restriction. Oh, yeah, the age restriction thing I knew about, but I didn't know about. Yeah, so, um, I mean, Twitter, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I don't think it's written down anywhere that you have to be a priest to be pope. Hilarious. Okay. This, I mean, this is kind of like this kind of stinky. I think you have to be a Catholic, but yeah, but to be the 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 big daddy. <laughs> don't, oh my God! Don't call the Pope that. Okay. <laughs> Do you know what's really bad? So I've been to World Youth Day, which is a youth festival all across Europe, so you can actually go visit the Pope. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's not a good line for me. Big <laughs> job. <laughs> but there's um there's there's like the the Catholic Pope, and then there's the uh, Orthodox Pope. Yeah. And um, I don't know. I, th- I think Orthodox. Do they have female ministers yet? Or or th- no, no, no. They're like they're like even more conservative. Yeah, though yeah. they do. I know Russian, uh, at least Russian Orthodox. I'm not entirely certain about Greek Orthodox, but they they can marry, which is something Catholics can't. Fair play. There you go, lads. Um, the thing I find really funny is, um, if you're getting married in a Catholic uh, church, particularly in Ireland, you might be encouraged to go on a marriage course. Oh yeah, no, it's, it's 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 a part of it. Yeah. yeah, run by a priest. Yeah, so you're getting advice on marriage, on a guy who's decided to be celibate. <laughs> yeah, see, I I kind of I kind of think of it as a there's there's sort of the public kind of way in like say in a, your stereotypical heterosexual monogamous mm. relationship you turn into the man and the woman have all the weddings and have all the joys, and then there's the sort of the spiritual side of it, mm. and I think just the priest is trying to help the young couple understand the spiritual side like the ceremonial part of it rather than just sort of the logistics of you man you husband you wife you lady yeah 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 yeah. and I suppose like it's the only problem is is that up until recently we didn't have very many other options of getting married outside of a a, of like a catholic church so if you didn't necessarily even subscribe to catholicism or like you know like some irish people like we're all baptized but because um a lot of the schools were set up as religious and so placement would go to people of that religion which then led to a lot of parents desperately trying to get their kids baptized to get them a better chance of getting into the local school yeah whilst well whilst the the majority just maybe wouldn't have a lot of faith so it's like well i have to get married in this church (laughs) (laughs) yeah do you know and it's like yeah it's like i don't want to listen to this dude tell me about my wedding you know but but she's grand if you actually like are religious yeah, and like exactly. you want to yeah. enter into it as like a religious or the kind of thing as well. Yeah, but, uh, but it's, it's like it's kind of like I come from a Catholic family that way, mm. and I've I've been very lucky to see the Pope a couple of times as well. But when it comes to it, it's kind of like. Did you kiss his ring? No, I didn't get that close. He did call me a couch potato. <laughs> what? Was fine. What? <laughs> he was he was giving. You me got a... roasted by the Pope. Yeah, I didn't get a kiss on the ring. I got roasted. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, he gave a great talk. This was back in Poland. Do you remember the time I got lost for like six and a half hours? Did I tell you this? No. Um. So in Poland, about I want to say three years ago, um, he was. It was. Uh, this is Papa Papa Franz Pope. Papa yeah. Francesco. Yeah, Papa Francesco. And he was, we went to, I think it was an old airfield where there was about tens of thousands of us there for a festival to see an open mass vigil with the Pope. And he gave this beautiful speech. Now, the way he gives a speech, I don't speak Italian, don't understand the word of Italian. But of course, there was translated for us. But I felt like the way he gave the speech was as if Michael D was giving the talk. Oh. And he's a very, very, although he's a very, very like well-known figure, it feels like he's talking to the individual, oh, which is always a beautiful talent to have. Um, but in it, he is saying there's so many people in their twenties who turn into couch potatoes. But you people here in presence of the mass or leveler, you have the ability to move on and do something more. Um, so I always took that as the Pope called me a couch potato. <laughs> okay, and we have I we've managed to get wildly off track. So yes, sorry, yes, sorry yes. Popes, yes, popes, popes, indeed, yes. popes, lady popes, lady popes, lady popes, indeed. Okay, so 
Pope Joan, um, it's speculated she was born in the mid-800s, um, but this is a story that comes from around that time, and supposedly helped encourage the whole celibacy rule within the church. Mm. So, speculation there. But Pope Joan, or possibly known as Joanne Anglis, was born and raised in Germany, and chronicles from the 13th century speak of how uh, this girl either went into priesthood mm-hmm. to follow her lover, or more, or more than likely, to better herself and educate herself, to get to know the text, get to know the manuscripts, get to know others much, much, well, much better indeed. Much well, to sounds I still need to go back to school. <laughs> um, so much better. So she taught herself. She went through the teachings and she gained a lot of momentum and she was able to move up ranks while she was there for, the, for oh. two, two and a half years or so. But when she was elected Pope, she was actually uh, was there for two years itself. Nice. But one little antidote about her that I really, really like is before she died, um, she was in a procession. Mm-hmm. And as the procession was going on, she was in labour. And that's kind of how people realised realized the Pope is not a man. Exactly. Mm-hmm. He, has, he has a womb. He has a womb, indeed. Couldn't they have also seen this as a miracle? The Pope has given us a child? Exactly. Divine Smoke stuff? coming out of places. <laughs> There's a new Pope. <laughs> kind of um, but it, it's been talked about that it would could have just have been a little bit of a, a satire. Like one person had written the manuscript um, from, was it the, they say it could have been around the uh, 1250s that there was uh, a start of, oh, imagine if there was a female Pope. And then the next person who was writing or contributing to the manuscript decided, oh, we could do one step better. We can do one step better. And then it became fact. Indeed. But there has been talk in St. Peter's of, so there are some statues, and there was also a fismeal done of all the different popes. Mm -hmm. And one of them has a rather rather feminine-looking face. And it was said in about 1600s, the librarian or the archivist at the time decided, sure, we can just change it. And they changed it to Pope Sacristy, I want to say. Um, because supposedly he was meant to have a very feminine looking face mm. to hide mm. the story of, of Pope Joe. Of Pope, Pope Joe. Joe. Yeah. And I, I was watching them, when I came in earlier, I was watching a video on YouTube I told Emily about, of this American uh, late night show talking about Pope Joan. But they did it in a style of the Da Vinci Code. Oh, to, like, brilliant. It was so... <laughs> such trash. It was, so... <laughs> it was entertaining. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It gave a lot of mixed reviews. A mm. lot of people believed that, no, it's just parody. It's just not mm. true. And she went over to Italy. God, this woman. She went over to Italy and talked to priests and talked to nuns, thinking she was Tom Hanks. You know, Tom Hanks' story, anyway. And she's like, and, the guy, and one of the cardinals, or Monsignor Charles, his name was, just said, oh, well, anything's possible, but really not. <laughs> kind of thing. And it gave an interesting spin because looking up different stories about gender non-conforming kind of dress and the like, there was one quote that I thought would be a good discussion topic, which was, so when this whole shifting of power mm-hmm. and how it's a balance play, that women dress up in, the, in their opposite gender to help sort of shift back the balance. Um, is to assume a male power to restore the legitimacy or the stability which the male counterparts have failed to secure. So if you will, like the classic underdog trope of mm. I must start from the bottom and sort everything out again. Mm-hmm. But as we've grown up, we've always seen guys taking on a female persona and say, if you go to the panto, yeah. say if the you go Dane. to, exactly, Pantomine Dane and the likes like that it was always seen as the opposite because they're shifting the balance to the other spectrum kind of thing. So I was kind of wondering about you guys. Did you ever find a story or hear of a tale that talks about, not necessarily the woman goes and fixes all the problems, but have you found any stories that sort of counteract that? Like, we've been joined by a dog. Oh, do you want to get in on this? Yeah, this is Squire. What are your Mm. thoughts on gender nonconformity, huh? Oh, you don't care, do you? Squire's a dog. Squire loves everyone. So in, in what sense in like, in women dressing up as men? And yeah, kind of think, like, have you heard of stories yourselves of what happens if, because like, we've all grown up with stories like Mulan, mm-hmm. uh, which was based mm-hmm. on a much earlier story yeah. of like, she's going to do it for herself or 
for her family do for the family or do it for love yeah and um, but have you ever found examples that don't follow that trope there normally is a in the the stories i've read of uh someone uh adopting uh, an alternative gender garb a lot of it is sort of connected to family or to honor mm. or there's a job that needs to be done and you need to be wearing a pair of trousers to do it yeah though kind of interesting um joan of arc on sort of jones and yeah. uh religion she dressed as a male um to but for safety mm. uh she never she never pretended to be a man she never claimed to be a man she was always saying uh, i am a i'm a lady i'm joan i'm the maid of orleans mm-hmm. i'm gonna go kick the english but she wore male garb uh for reasons of safety which apparently wasn't it was frowned upon but it wasn't that unusual if you had to travel um in a time of medieval war and if you're a, a lone woman uh, particularly not a wealthy woman to sort of put on male garb because you would be safer. Yeah. It was to yeah, it was yeah. to prevent rape. And actually, in her, when she was imprisoned on trial, she did request, "Can I please have some male clothes? Because I don't. I think I'm going to be raped by my jailers." Oh, which is uh yeah. Her her story is very sad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she, well, she also well, she was saying, "I am a woman, and I'm I'm wearing male armor, but I'm a woman leading the army." She didn't encourage other women to join the army. Yeah. She she wasn't trying to redress gender power. She was saying, I've been chosen by God to do this. Yeah. So I'm yeah. special. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But just because I'm doing it doesn't mean anyone else can do it. Anyone, no, but no, that's divine right, of course. Um, I, I always loved her story. Yeah. I um, so I actually went to see Top Girls by Carol Churchill when I was in London. And Pope Joan is in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the... the the first scene or whatever is like it's a dinner party it's a dinner party with all these like incredibly top, like top girls like incredibly mm. powerful women from their time in their field or whatever mm. and Pope Joan's one of them and she tells her story of like you know she dressed up as a guy and because she couldn't get an education as a woman so she entered into the male sphere I suppose and after she gave birth um that's when they introduced that chair. Oh yes. yeah, the the check. Does he have balls? Yeah, yeah exactly. I'm not too sure if I should bring that up or not. No, it's a. I've seen pictures. Oh my word. Um. Yeah, there was. Oh, so it was a marble chair. Yeah, it's a marble chair like a that's got like a thing. hole in the seat of it, so, so other cardinals can look up. Yeah, they they like oh, lift the they lift the new pope up. Oh God. I I heard from Q I heard from Q that they they sort of like lift it up and everyone looks and goes. He has balls and is well hung. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Only they do it in Latin, so it's a lot classier. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I, and it was, and it was meant to be like around that time, that's when like the celibacy like yeah. side of things came into Yeah, because apparently like she had a lover who was another cardinal. Yeah. Yeah. And that. You would have had to have some sort of lover to produce a baby. Like, yeah, do you it know. It wasn't just all smoke and mirrors. It was like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like the her lover was like in the Vatican, yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. a cardinal or whatever. I so. think I saw a film on Netflix. Yes, about Pope is. Joan. There is. There's. I think there's two. I think there's one that came out in like 2009, and another one that I think was the 70s. Mm. Um, but I was talking to my own mum about the story last night, and she's like, "Oh yeah, no, I remember that story because it was. I can't remember if there's a well-known actress who played her or not. Um, but she said it was like a very well-known story." Um, but what I've always been interested when it comes to these stories is the power stance of the woman. Mm. It's kind of like yes, she is taking the power back in a way. But she's taking the power. She's taking the power. But she's taking the power for herself. Yeah. Like she's not changing the laws. Like if she's not changing the 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 atmosphere yeah, or like the, the power ta- dynamic she's not at the all. Patriarchy. Like if you look at uh, Queen Elizabeth. Yeah. Be the most famous queen who ruled in her own right, who refused to marry during her reign did nothing for the the right or the status of women no made herself the ex, exem, example uh, exemplary no um exception exception or, that's it she was the exception she was the woman who could have power yeah like Joan of Arc again yeah. do you know what I mean and like I as much as I love Mulan I love that film so much but I don't know if I really agree with the the trope of like oh you have to dress up as a guy for to be powerful for people to take you seriously it's you know mm-hmm. and it's the same as like Maggie Thatcher or whatever like she didn't really do much for women you know you know so it's like it's the thing of like women feel that they need to become more become masculine masculine to to be taken seriously yeah 
which is not topping the patriarchy at all. It's just saying men are actually on top. And if you want to be on top, you got to be like a dude. Yeah, which is uh, which is kind of what happened, <laughs> which, on top. which is kind of what happened in uh, my story. Ooh. So uh, I found this from uh, originally from an article, an article that someone um, posted to the uh, Feminist Folklore Podcast group. If you haven't heard of the Feminist Folklore Podcast, it's a great podcast. The Facebook group is great. People post really interesting articles. Uh, but it was a an article published on thepublicmedievalist.com, Transgender Fairy Tales, Gender, Sexism and the Middle Ages, written by Paul B. Sturtevant. Orla has helped me with the pronunciation of that. Great name. It brought my attention to a fairy tale I'd never heard of, uh, collected by Andrew Lang in his Violet Fairy Tale book. And he called it uh, The Girl Who Pretended to Be a Boy. I prefer to call it The Princess Who Became a King. So it's a Romanian story and it begins with there was a vast empire ruled by an emperor. And every time he conquered a new country, he would agree to peace and things would be well. But the ruler of the country needed to send one of his sons to serve at the emperor's court for 10 years. Not unlike sort of the Celtic kings and their hostage taking. Just bring that in. And this went on. But on the edges of the empire, there was a kingdom ruled by a king who had been in his time a fierce warrior. But as he grew older and as his hair turned grey, he lost the taste for battle. And as people, they wanted to stay home and plough their fields and raise their children rather than go off to war. So he looked at making peace with the emperor, becoming a, a sub-country of it. But there was one problem. Though he had three children, he had no son to serve at the emperor's court. He had three daughters. Three wonderful daughters who brought him joy into his life. But the peace treaty meant he needed a son. He needed to send a prince. And this caused him great trouble and great woe. And eventually his oldest daughter said, Father, I'm a princess. I'm going to go and do it. And his father said, well, you're a girl. You are, you are trained in dancing and music. You, you don't know how to, how to wield a sword. But she said, I'm going to go anyway. And she packed up all of her jewels and her gems and fine silks and picked the finest mare from the stable and rode off. But her father, who was a bit of a sorcerer, decided he wanted to test his daughter's courage before she got there. So... At a bridge where she would need to cross the river, he summoned up the image of a lion. The princess saw the lion, turned pale and fled back home. Uh, But her second sister, the second princess, said, Father, well, my eldest sister has failed. Let me try. And the same thing happened. She packed up her jewels and her silks and she rode off. And the father summoned the image of a wolf. And she saw the wolf, turned pale, ran home. And then it came to the third sister, the third princess. And she said, Father, my two sisters have failed. But, you know, third time's a charm. Give me a shot at it. And her father said, well, if you wish, go to the stable, pick a horse. And she wandered through the stable looking for the horse and looking at the fine steeds there. And at last came to her father's old war horse. Now, this war horse was as worn and old as her father. But the horse looked up and said, pick me. I know things. I've got experience. If you will brush me down with rainwater for seven days... Feed me oats that have been boiled in milk. I shall become the finest war charger you have ever seen. And so she did it. And it came about. The horse seemed to regain its strength and told her to pick simple boy's clothes, good strong armour, pack food for provisions and they would set off. And so they did. But the father again wanted to test his child's bravery. So when the horse and its rider came to the first river to cross, the king summoned up the image of a wolf. But the horse whispered, Take out your sword. Show no fear. And they charged straight and the wolf disappeared. They came to a second river. The father again summoned up the image of a lion. The horse again told its rider, draw your sword. Show no fear. They charged and the lion disappeared. You think that this would be enough to prove to the father that his child is indeed brave enough. (laughs) But no, because in the third bridge, he summoned up the image of a dragon. Uh, Yeah. But again, she drew her sword. She showed no fear. She charged straight and the dragon disappeared. And on her way to adventure to serve at the king's court, she bumped into two genies having a fight. <laughs> and in the story, it said that they were they were fighting um, at the mountain that is so tall it holds up the sky of the world. Oh. And the two genies saw this young youth coming forward with a sword and they had been battling for two years, neither of them able to gain strength. And the first genie called out, young man, come fight with me and I shall give you a horn that can be heard for three days away. And the other genie said, no, come fight with me. I shall give you my steed, Sunlight. And the young youth asked the horse, which genie should I fight with? And the horse said, Sunlight is my brother. 
So fight with that genie. And so the two went off and the youth following the horse's direction, for the horse was skilled in battle, were able to cut the head from the body of the genie. And the victorious genie brought the horse and the youth home to his mother's house where sunlight was stabled. Uh, But the genie's mother, that's a girl. (laughs) Because the genie's mother had a a very narrow view of gender. (laughs) And she arranged all of these tests. She took... Two bunches of flowers, a herb that if touched by the hand of a man would wither and touched by the hand of a woman would uh, stay forever fresh. And she placed them on the beds. But the young youth merely swapped the flowers after the genie had gone to sleep. So both withered. The genie's mother then said, take them walking in the field. And the fl- surely the flowers, they are so beautiful. Any young woman would want to stop and pick them. <laughs> and they walked in the field and admire the flowers but the youth said why are we wasting our time walking among these flowers i need to tend to my horse very sensible the genie's mother had one last thing said take her to the armory show her the weapons show her the weapons and the jewels see what she picks and the youth went into the armory and picked a sword because they were going off to battle they needed a sword <laughs> and the genie's mother was well seems like a guy to me <laughs> And so with the new steed, Sunlight, they went off and the elderly warhorse said, well, we've done well, but I'm quite old. Sunlight will guide you. Do as he says and you shall be victorious. And so Sunlight and the prince, because they were feeling like a prince now, rode off. And in the middle of the road, they saw a lock of golden hair. And the prince asked the horse, should I pick up that lock of golden hair? And the horse said, well, if you do, you'll regret it. If you don't, you'll regret it. So you might as well just pick it up. And the youth did pick up the lock of golden hair and wore it around their neck and travelled to the court of the emperor where they were welcomed as this fine youth with a fine horse and they accomplished many great deeds. But one day, the emperor noticed the lock of golden hair around the youth's neck and said, that... That is the hair of Aileen. Aileen of the golden hair. You must bring her to me. I am in love with her from seeing her lock of hair. And the youth went and said, Okay, you're my emperor. I guess I gotta do this. And went and asked Sunlight the horse, um, How do I find this woman? <laughs> who is she? Who is she? <laughs> and Sunlight apparently knew who she was. She was a beautiful but enchanted lady who had been kidnapped by another genie. Because there's a lot of genies in this. What was who was sick with love with her, but she had agreed she would only marry this genie if he could bring her her 20 mares and her great stud. Stud being a horse. Mm, Questionable. Uh, But these horses could run faster than the wind and the genie was beside himself, unable to find them. But this meant he had left her alone in his tower. And so the youth, armed with their sword, with their steed sunlight, rode off to the tower. But they realised they would need to sneak their way in. So they had the emperor give them a ship. A ship filled with treasures and jewels. And they took the finest treasure and they rode up to the castle where the Princess Aileen was not locked up. And they claimed to be a merchant. They showed the servants of the genie these jewels and said there are even greater ones on my ship. And Aileen, who was desperate to get out of the castle, said, oh, I would love to take a look. And they went to the, ca- to the ship and they were shown the great treasures and the servants were so amazed by these marvels that they didn't notice that the sails had been let down and that they were sailing <laughs> back to the emperor's home. And by the time they did notice, well, it was too late. But this genie had a mother who was a giant. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, this story is long. Oh my God. <laughs> the genie had a mother who was a giant and when she realised that her son's bride-to-be had been re-kidnapped... <laughs> She stormed off. And when she strode, her head touched the heavens as our feet touched the ocean bed. And she stormed after the ship. And the youth turned to sunlight the horse and said, what do I do? And the horse said, well, reach behind my left ear and take out a stone. Throw it at her. The youth did this and they threw the stone. And the stone suddenly became a great wall. But the genie's mother began to clamber up over the wall. It had slowed her down, but she was still coming. And so the youth asked, sunlight, what do I do? Reach behind my other ear. There's a twig throw that at her so the youth did this took a twig threw it at the genie's mother and it became a forest but she managed to climb through the trees and the youth said sunlight what do i do she's still coming and sunlight said well um eileen the magical princess take off one of her rings and throw it at the genie's mother and they did this and it suddenly became a great tower a tower that caught the genie's mother up and she began to rise up and up and up higher and higher and higher beyond the heavens and she became so furious that she just burst into flames 
<laughs> yep. And they arrived back at the Emperor's castle and the Emperor was thrilled. And when he saw the beautiful Aline of the golden hair, he declared he would marry her. And Aline thought, oh, great. <laughs> I've gone from one guy who thinks kidnapping is the way to win my heart to another guy who thinks kidnapping is the way to win my heart. But again, she said, I will only marry the man who can bring me my 20 mares and my great stud. And so the Emperor decided, well, you, youth, you managed to defeat the genie. You can go get the horses. And the youth thought, oh, great, more stuff to do. So asked Sunlight, Sunlight, what do I do? And Sunlight said, well, I'm a horse. They're horses. Leave this one to me. (laughs) (laughs) And Sunlight went into the field where these horses were and whinnied and looked particularly gorgeous. And the the mares were like, oh, that horse is a bit of something. And followed him happily back to the emperor's house. And Aileen was like, oh, really don't want to marry this emperor. Uh, uh, I know. Let's have a bath. <laughs> Let's have a bath. But um, I need into this bath water. I need uh, I need you to put some holy water from the River Jordan, which is kept in this special church guarded by uh, by ninja nuns. <laughs> ninja. It doesn't say ninja nuns, but sort of fierce warrior nuns. I can imagine that with the keys and everything that they have around the room. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and so the emperor again doesn't do anything himself says you youth and the prince said i have defeated genies for you i have rescued a princess for you i have brought you back the 20 magical mares do you not have someone else who can do this but apparently he didn't (laughs) so again she got on sunlight he got on sunlight they got on sunlight and they rode off to the river jordan and sunlight said well these nuns never sleep but There's a wise hermit who comes and tells them the news of the world. They are all gathered inside listening to him. So now is the perfect moment to sneak inside and steal the holy water. And so the youth got off the horse, snuck inside, stole the holy water and was just getting back on the horse. But the holy man had finished speaking. The nuns came out and they saw this youth on the magical horse flying away with the stolen holy water. So the hermit, the wise man, fell to his knees and he crawled out a curse. The thief. I curse that if they were born a man, they be turned to a woman. And if they were born a woman, they be turned to a man. And the youth, who had been a princess, now discovered that they had a penis. They were, in every respect, a man. Which suited them quite well, because they'd been feeling like a man for quite a while. (laughs) So the curse, well, punishments are sometimes blessings. But Aline had had enough of the emperor. And so when the holy water was poured into the bath, and she and the emperor were getting into it, she called for her great stud. Her great magical horse, her great stallion. And the horse came in and from one nostril breathed sweet air onto Aileen and onto the other nostril breathed fire and death onto the emperor. (laughs) And the emperor died under mysterious circumstances. But everyone then questioned, what do we do? The emperor, he had no sons. Who shall reign now? And they said, well, that youth seemed to be his favourite. He was always sending them off on, on wild adventures and tasks. Let's make them emperor. And so the youth became the emperor. Eileen said, you have done all to win my hand. Would you like to get married? They said yes. And they lived happily ever after. The child that was born a princess became a prince. And at last, an emperor. So that is a very rough retelling of an utterly bizarre story. What? Like, you've told a few Romanian stories before and they're all just mental. Like, they're... I mean, I, I probably, with a bit of practice, could have done a more elegant telling of that, but I only recently came across it, and it's... There's so much going on in that there's story. There's so much yeah, going on, do you know? Like, so many little side quests and everything. Yeah, and, yeah. and there's a few more side quests that I left out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it's just, it's... Uh, yeah, there's a lot going on in that story. Yeah. And there's a lot of assumptions about gender. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. The, um, the first genie's mother who's going, Oh, flowers. Girls like flowers. Right. Oh, we'll trick her. We'll, yeah. We'll trick her and then you can marry her. Because <laughs> I left at that, the, the, the genie's mother thinks, they'd make a good bride. <laughs> they can kill other genies. <laughs> uh, and uh, in the article, it was talking about this story and uh, how it can in some ways be seen as a very progressive fairy tale because it, it is a story about a a trans prince. Yeah. Who comes into their right, becomes an emperor. But in the language of the story, she is always called she. Yeah. And... I tried to halfway through the story stop calling them she and call them them and then he but I did get confused sometimes. That's okay. It's, a, it's an interesting article and they reference another story which is about a, a princess who dresses up as a prince goes off does amazing things 
and then gets outed and dead named and forced to marry a man. But that's what I was going to say, because isn't that the usual outcome to all these stories, like thinking of Mulan again? Do you know, it's like they they dress up as the opposite gender and they get like really famous, world renowned, so much respect. And then they get outed and dead named and then they're literally forced to like, oh, but now you get to marry the prince who you also saved. Do you know, like that is genuinely a pretty progressive outcome. Yes, I do like that it's the uh, the curse um, turns into a blessing because they uh, they can now go and procreate with the princess. Yeah, or yeah. They w- live the life that yeah. they want to live, you know? Yeah. Of, it doesn't go through, but it seems they are pretty happy living as a prince, but they also seem to have been pretty happy living as a princess. Yeah. So, I, I don't know, and a lot of these things were sort of then, we have to infer from their stuff. Like when you look at sort of historical cases of uh, women who have lived as men, there's a thing like the the film Albert Knobs, which is fictional, mm. but in it, Glenn Close plays a character who is biologically female, but has been forced by economic reasons to, for the last 30 years, live as a man mm-hmm. and refers to themselves as Albert. They're asked at one point by another person who is for economic reasons presenting as a male. What's your real name? And they say, Albert. Mm. Albert is their real name. But it's then becomes a question of they're doing this for economic reasons and for safety reasons yeah would if they had the vocabulary of transgender would they identify as it because it wasn't necessarily a choice yeah it was done out of necessity yeah so then you get this sort of interesting thing of trying to put modern terminology on more historical cases yeah which which i'm not sure if you especially with something like folk tales or folklore you know if it was someone from the past so like you know in the 30s there were like all these female um what would the term be male impersonators yeah male impersonators or whatever who would again like live their life as as uh, presenting, presenting male or whatever male, but often ident- often still saying female yeah 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 something like that and uh, you know and if the terminology just didn't exist back then like i'm not sure if you can sort of retroactively apply it you know it's a it's a complicated issue because we we can't ask them which which term are you most comfortable with yeah exactly and of course there were still trans people back then there were no like absolutely but there wasn't wasn't a word wasn't a word it wasn't a word in english i know sort of some native american um tribes had an idea of two-spirit and a different view on gender. Yeah. Sorry. I think we need to let a dog in. Would you make up your mind, guys? I know. Because my story kind of has that similar trope of like, um, you know, being brought to a woman and being like, oh, we'll, we'll catch her out as well. Yeah, there's sort of this test of you have to you have to prove that you are feminine enough or prove that you are femi- masculine enough. Yeah, exactly. As if there is one feminine or masculine or one way of being yeah 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 or like your likes and your dislikes yeah. or your whatever you're drawn to is completely based you're a girl so you can't like swords yeah exactly yes, do you know exactly. yeah um so well i i'll dive into mine yeah. will i yeah so mine is a russian folktale called about uh vasilisa vasilievna uh the gender non-conforming heroine who kept the Tsar guessing and this is from the uh, Rejected Princesses book by Jason Porth, which is an unreal book. And I think I told a story from it before as well, yeah, didn't it I? Is a, it is an awesome book, an yeah. awesome website. Uh, definitely check out. Check, so two things you have to check out from here. Rejected Princesses, Feminist Folklore Podcast. Yes, there you go. Our top tips. Also, watch Rocky Horror Picture Show and read Lieutenant Nunn. And uh, oh yeah, read Top Girls by Carol Churchill as well, while we're at it. (laughs) Um, Okay, so the first thing the tale of Vasilisa Vasilyevna would have you know about her was that she was not like other girls. For one thing, she shot guns. Nice. (laughs) For another, she dressed like a boy. But most important of all, the story notes, she was a great lover of vodka. See, I don't see why that excludes her from being like other girls. Maybe she, TBH. Maybe she could drink more than you would expect for her body weight. Yeah, but so can I, Emily. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the last attribute, apparently, is what caused many to believe that the priest's daughter was actually a priest's son. 
fully comfortable with this identity, she often went by Vasily Vasilievich, which is the male form of the name in Russian. One day, she was out hunting deer on horseback, astride, not side-saddled, the tale notes, when she caught the attention of the local czar, a fella named Barkat. Struck by her general bad attitude, he exclaimed, Who is this young man? Only to be informed by his attendant that he was actually a she. Oh no, 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 that can't be true, said the Tsar, who had a very myopic view on gender. I'm going to get to the bottom of this. He consulted his housekeeper, who, being an old Russian lady, knew everything. Of course, just generally old, small old ladies. They know things. things. They look into your soul. And they know, they have experience. Miss Marple. Exactly. There we go. She's the one who committed all the murders. (gasps) Hot takes. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, he consulted his housekeeper as to the best way to, and this is crossed out, but I think it's a really funny um, sentence, as to the best way to reduce Vasilisa's gender identity to a binary system. (laughs) (laughs) Or uh, uh, determine if Vasilisa was a dude or a lady. The housekeeper told the Tsar to have Vasilisa over for dinner and hang a gun on one wall and some embroidery on the other. Any real man, the housekeeper reasoned, would react to the gun first. Uh, <laughs> my question is, react to the gun how? Exactly. If someone had a gun up on their wall, I think I would notice it before a nice painting. Do you know? Yeah, <laughs> and the, also, which wall is, or do you see first when you come into the room? There's a lot of variables in this. There's this is not a scientific test. It is. Why do you have a blind side as well? What for you to have a great yeah. vision one side the other? Do you know? Yeah. Do you know, Babushka did not think about this. Um, however, Vasilisa, being woke AF, decided to mess with their toxic views on masculinity. Woo! At the Tsar's invitation, Vasilisa joined the Tsar for dinner. They ate sweet meats and drank, but as soon as she saw the embroidery, she let out a gasp of disgust. <gasps> Whatever nonsense do you have hanging up there, Sir Barkat? I never saw such a girlish trash in my father's house, and I've never heard of it. And yet you find it hanging in the Tsar's palace? She then left, courteously, apparently. (laughs) Having just insulted the decor. Um, but the Tsar's imagination still could not stretch beyond cultural gender dichotomies and with the housekeeper's help he set another test. This time he was to serve her a pie with pearls in it. If Vasilisa was a girl, they were sure she'd take the pearls gleefully. If a boy, she'd throw it under the table. What if she swallowed them? <laughs> but for real though, like who puts precious gems and stones into a pie? I know some people do like the the engagement thing, have it like hidden in a like under a oh, no, yeah, like no. but then you choke glass. on it like exactly. you choke on it and die wondering about the pearls yeah, yeah. also uh, how heat proof are pearls yeah are, are you putting them in when the pie has been cooked or they have to be heat proof right they Shall they're like they? grown in they're grown in a in clam. in a clam. an oyster yeah but how hot do oysters get they, they're like like cool water I don't know. I, I, I don't. I mean, I, I'm not a marine biologist. I don't know anything. Yeah, I'm just thinking like if it was a diamond or whatever, they have to put it be under like extreme pressure. Like, yeah. Be used to it. But for pearls, it'd be a bit. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. pearls are a bit softer because they're layers of. Yeah, layers yeah. of whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If we have any marine biologists who listen to the podcast, can you please let us know? Let us know if you can cook pearls in a pie. <laughs> yes. Thanks. Um, uh. So if a boy, she'd throw it under the table because touching a pearl revokes your man card or something. I don't know. So again, she shows up, drinks with the Tsar, and soon (laughs) enough, she found the pearls. She flung the entire plate under the table and emasculated the Tsar for his peculiar culinary choices. Who puts these into a pie? I never saw such girlish trash in my father's house, and I've never heard of it, and yet you find it in the Tsar's food? I don't like the way she keeps talking about girlish trash. Yeah, but I suppose she's just... I think she's trying to, like, roast the czar. I think she knows what he's up to. And she's just, like, throwing it back on him. Do you know? Exactly. I think. Or maybe she's just a big tomboy and she honestly thinks it's, like, absolute rubbish. This is making me think of, like, toxic femininity. Exactly. Do you know? The idea of, like, oh, 
other I'm not like other girls I know and that's what it said at the start as well and I was like what just because she like drinks loads of vodka and wears trousers and uh, roasts the czar do you know and roasts the czar I would love to roast the czar (laughs) (laughs) I guess it's one of of those things of like if you can take the piss out of somebody like you know you're going to be good friends but not necessarily like overcompensating in a way yeah like to be able to take the mickey out of them a bit more just like a lads would take the mickey yeah 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 yeah. do you know but i i understand where you're coming with the toxic toxic femininity though yeah there ain't nothing wrong with femininity either nothing wrong with pearls and embroidery yeah and you can you can enjoy those things and still want to roast a monarch yeah, and shoot guns and ride a horse astride, not side saddle. Because if you ride side saddle, you're going to fall off. But yeah, that oh, don't even get me started on riding side saddle. <laughs> Have you done it? No, of course I haven't. Like uh, we did horse riding in. Oh, we did horse riding in Ty or whatever. But like, who would ever ride side saddle? It seems. Rid- How do you get any grip? Do you know? I think there's meant to be like a different thing that you like hook your knee around and like. Hold on that and way. hold on and that way. Hold on with your leg, like an ankle behind the other ankle kind yeah. of thing, because you have such big, massive skirts going on. Yeah. Like. Although in the second Princess Diaries, uh, they just have a fake leg. You ride your side. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Covers it. You put the fake leg on, and it looks like you're riding side saddle. Yeah. Yes. There's ways around things. Ways like around this. Um. So anyway, um, she roasts his food, and then she leaves courteously again. Uh, even though her speech would. I'm, I'm wondering if uh, if the word courteous means something else in Russian. I don't think they have the word in Russian. <laughs> um, at wit's end, the Tsar's housekeeper, oh, the Tsar, Tsar housekeeper duo devised the ultimate bro move, inviting Vasilisa in the bath with him. Yeah, because nothing what? is more manly than having baths together. If Vasilisa was female, he reasoned, she'd never join him in the steam baths. And if male, they could just talk about sports, do some yoga and chill. I'm assuming I, I, I'm, I'm assuming bath is not like the tub in the bathroom that I have. It's I presume it's like um, like a sauna thing. I presume it's like a banya, like, like a like a yeah, like a sauna, like an outdoor sauna type thing. I presume. You know, or else things are going to get very cozy. They're going to get very cozy, aren't they? Maybe this is what the Tsar wanted all along. Mm, this is mm. his plan. Oh. Um, so again, Vasilisa rode out on her old grey horse and drank the Tsar's palace dry. Tsar Barkat invited her to the baths and she readily agreed. However, she was far quicker than the old man. By the time he'd slipped out of his cumbersome clothes, she'd not only been in and out of the bath, but she'd also written a letter and left it with the Tsar's attendant. It read, Oh, you crow, you Tsar Barkat. The crow has not caught the falcon in the garden. I am not Vasily Vasilievich, but Vasilisa Vasilievna. And thus the Tsar fooled and his views on gender expanded greatly. And the end is from the rejected princesses by Jason Porath. So I I actually do quite like that story because yeah. it's like she never purports to be a fella. Do you know? Yeah. It's never like she's never she's she's being herself. She's yeah. never being anyone else. No, and it's everyone else's assuming uh, assumption of gender that are like they're placing yeah, they're that to on put her. In a box and she's uh, and she's just kind of taking them all for a ride. Yeah. Do you know, she getting, seems... Getting a couple of meals, getting some vodka, getting a nice bath. Exactly, do you Possibly know? having pearls, she can give us a present to somebody else. Do you know? Yeah. yeah. And like, she just seems to be living her life. Yeah, having a great time. And then takes the... Takes the... The, the mickey out of them. The mickey, the mickey out of them. Yeah, exactly. So I do like that, you know? There's no gender really ever implied, apart from the names. But that's yeah. just like yeah. a... Like an inherently sort of language-based thing. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know? And as someone who uh, is not a fae with Russian or Russian names, I wouldn't necessarily know that either of those names had a gender association. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just it's just the ending of them yeah. that uh, sort of denotes yeah. gender. I'm yeah. still trying to get over how the fact that she could write a letter that would be seen in the sauna. Oh, she, no, she gave it to one of the, the hand attendants. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe she had... Her scribbling maybe, <laughs> maybe she had it prepared beforehand. Maybe. Maybe she, maybe she had her own little Russian grandmother telling her things. Exactly. It's the ultimate double bluff. Like oh. she just outsmarted all of them. They were all like, uh, they were all so worried about her gender that she was like, got completely random around circles. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah, so those are, uh, those are a couple of stories um, about women who 
subvert gender expectations, uh, mm-hmm. who discover their own gender that they are more comfortable in, who become Pope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And there are some stories uh, where, th- there are le- less stories where men uh, take on feminine roles or feminine mm. genders. But we might have to save that for another episode. I know, yeah, we should, we, we should maybe look at some fellas as well, yeah. yeah. Uh, normally in stories, when a woman takes on a, a gender role it's, or a, a more masculine role, it's for her to go do something something powerful yeah. and take power or point out, is, as in yours, uh, how ridiculous the people in power are being. Whereas more stories when men take on a feminine role, I'm just thinking of like uh, Thor and the wedding to the giants, it's seen as more comic yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it it's that it's that panto dame thing, isn't yeah. it? It's like it's always because of the the power imbalance of like, yeah. well, lads are strong and powerful, women are weak. So it's isn't it hilarious that he's dressing up as a woman? Do you know, yeah. it's yeah, it's inherently misogynistic. Yeah. So we will uh, we will we will return to this topic, and if you can suggest to us any stories about uh, subverting gender expectations about cross-dressing or anything like that particularly if you can find you know one where a male character takes on a female role and it's not done for comic effect yeah and yes. it's empowering his own sense of self that would be that amazing or if you have a favorite one where it is done for comic effect uh we can still talk about that and discuss the internal misogyny within that mm-hmm. and we hope you've enjoyed these stories yeah let us know what you thought in the comments and tweet at us. Yes, please do tweet at us. Yeah. We, we like it. And please review. I, I, we don't have very many reviews. It would be nice if we had some reviews. Yeah, exactly. Let us know your thoughts. Yes. And you can get in touch with us on Twitter. Mm-hmm. We are at Tales Shadows. On Facebook and Instagram, we are at Tales from the Shadows. We have a theatre group. We do shadow puppetry. I thought it'd be easier if I had them all under the same name. It isn't. That's why social media is confusing. <laughs> yeah, uh, we also have a Patreon if you would like to support us, get some postcards, that would be lovely. Uh, or just send us an email, send us a tweet. Yeah. We'd love to hear from you. I've been Emily. I've been Deirdre. I've been Orla. Bye. Bye. Bye.